Hope everyone has been having or has had a nice, peaceful, relaxing week. It's always nice to come back to the temple and always nice to get done with the week uh, and the business and craziness of it so we can actually have at least 24 hours worth of rest and relaxation and peace and taking our mind off the world or at least attempting to take our mind off uh, all the things we have going on in our lives and uh, to sit in God's presence uh, to dwell with him. With that said, today's Shabbat is the first Shabbat of the month of Alul. The month preceding the fall feast of Yom Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. As we enter this significant month, I believe it's important for all of us to take a pause of our lives. To take a pause and take, take notice of Elul in our journey towards a special time. These days of awe that occur between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur are what we're journeying towards through the month of Elul. We're seeking to prepare ourselves, seeking to focus ourselves, lift our heads up from the material world, looking at the spiritual world to ensure that we are taking an accounting for our lives to this point through this year and ensuring that we, our families and our communities are prepared and ready for those days of awe for the feasts that are coming, the, the last feast of the cycle of this year that are coming. As such, it is traditional in Judaism to spend more time than usual to review the past and look at where we are coming or where we have come during this past year. During this time, many focus on the book of Psalms. They read them daily, especially Psalms, which we've done in the past, Psalms 27 and then also Psalms 51. It's a time to prepare for upcoming feasts when we resolve to do better this year than last. If we have found that we have not lived up to God's instructions for us, we can use this time to teshuvah or return to God. Each of us are in different places of our relationship, our walk with God. Some might be needing teshuvah, some might be uh, in a nondescript lull and are needing to, be, to have a spark in our lives to get back on track. And some might be completely on fire, prepared, and ready to go. Regardless of where we are, this is a great time for us to review our current state, as well as past actions, and take the necessary steps to ensure we are ready for the coming King. We must use this time to remember who God has called us to be from the first. As I have mentioned in the past, a traditional saying during this month is, the King is in the field meaning that God is seen to be much more accessible this time of year as long as we search for him. And that's very key, right? God is clearly always accessible. It just depends on if we're seeking him, if we're searching him or not. With that said though, why does the saying mention the fields as opposed to just saying God is closer to us no matter the location? We understand that the term king in this phrase means God, but why are we saying he is in the fields at this time? A couple of passages um, I pulled from uh, Jewish sources, uh, sources that detail uh, the king is in the fields phrase and, and how they view it, how they interpret it, um, these, these, uh, uh, these rabbis, how the rabbis interpret it. Um, I wanted to read because I think it gives a great description, great visual for us to take a hold of. Clearly for us, 
in modern day society, it's kind of hard to you know, grasp the whole in the fields because not many of us are in the fields uh, on a day in, day out basis. Um, so I, I think it's good to uh, create a visual uh, so we could take hold of it more than just kind of in our mind mentally thinking about it. So Rabbi Shnur Zalman of Liadi explains the paradox of Elul with the following metaphor. The king's usual place is in the capital city, in the royal palace. Anyone wishing to approach the king must go through the appropriate channels in the palace bureaucracy and gain the approval of a succession of secretaries and ministers. He must journey to the capital and pass through the many gates, corridors, antechambers that lead to the throne room. His presentation must be meticulously prepared, and he must adhere to the exacting code of dress, speech, and mannerism upon entering into the royal presence. However, there are times when the king comes out to the fields outside the city. At such times, anyone can approach him. The king receives them all with a smiling face and radiant countenance. The peasant behind his plow has access to the king in a manner unavailable to highest ranking ministers in the royal courts when the king is in the palace. In the next sec uh, se uh, section. But then comes the month of Elul, and we hear the words the king is in the field. In the old world, where kings ruled and peasants worked the land, there was very little in interaction between the two. The king ruled from his walled palace and the peasants kept to the fields. But now it is Elul, and we are truly peasants. We work hard in our fields, barely lifting our heads from the dirt of this material world. But if we do, if we awaken ourselves to look up from the craziness, the busyness of this world that we live in today, if we take a moment, if we pause our lives and look up to the spiritual world, look up to heaven, look up to Yeshua, if we do that for a moment, if we chance to take a moment from our everyday routine and just look up, we will see there in the field the king, the king of the, the, king of the world above, here in our world. The king is ready to listen, to forgive, and to love. Again, I think these passages paint a perfect picture of where we are today. And as we are journeying through month Elul, I think it's the sixth of Elul or, or whatever, uh, I think it's the sixth. But as we prepare ourselves over these next four to five weeks leading up to Yom Teruah for that great shout, that great blast to hear, to see if our Mashiach Yeshua, our King, is coming on the clouds back, as we journey through the days of awe uh, to go through the day of atonement and then journeying to Sukkot and dwelling with our king. You know, this might be the year Mashiach comes back, it might not. But we must prepare ourselves. This is the time to prepare ourselves, to take an accounting, to see how we live, see what we focus on, see what we spend our time doing. See if we are continually hitting the targets. If, we are, if our aim is continually straight and not to the right or to the left, right? We all have a goal. We all have a target. Yeshua, through this word, provides us that aim, provides us that target, right? So number one, we should be reading it. If we're not reading it, we might lose sight of what the aim and the target is. But if we are reading it, we understand what the aim and target is. And then it is up to us to ensure we are always striving towards that straight path, towards that target, and not to the right or left, 
Because what happens is in our fleshly desires, in our wants, in our, uh, during the week or whatever of this material world, we get consumed by everything going on, which it potentially causes us to go to the right or to the left, causes us to add burdens to our shoulders, causes us to forget who our king is, causes us to forget who our God is, and causes us to forget that he's right there, that he's right there, right with us, waiting for us to come to him. So if we have not been doing this, if we have been um, misguided, or if we've lost our focus, now is the time to regain it. Now is the time to get it back as we journey towards the last fall feast of the cycle. These passages come from both past and modern rabbis, providing a visual for us concerning the king is in the field phrase. But we honestly should all understand this because the idea that God is closer now or that God seeks to dwell with his people is not a new interpretation or a complex exegesis of scripture. We see this discussed many times throughout the Bible, beginning in the Torah and which in Exodus chapter 29, verses 43 through 46, which states, I will meet there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve as priests to me. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God sought an environment where he always was in the field with us, always accessible to us. He seeks that even to today. From the garden with Adam and Eve, where he dwelt with them, to the Mishkan or tabernacle that all Israel surrounded and journeyed through the wilderness around, God sought to be with his people, but we pushed him away. Through chasing our own wants and desires, we made God inaccessible. Not that God moved, not that God changed, but we did. Instead of following his instructions, and when I say we, I mean the collective we, right? From the beginning of time until now, the collective we, as we put ourselves in the shoes of all those who came before us and lived their lives, we were all a part of it, where we pushed God aside away because we thought we maybe had a better plan, we wanted to go a different direction, we wanted to seek our own wants and desires as opposed to seeking God's will, God's wants, God's desires for our life. Even with a beautiful temple conceived by King David and built by King Solomon, God's stay was short-lived due to the fleshly desires of his people. And we read the departure of God's Shekinah in Ezekiel 10, 15 through 19, which states, Then the Kerovim rose up. They are the living beings I saw by the river Kever. Now when the Kerovim moved, the wheels would move beside them. Also when the Kerovim lifted up their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels themselves would not turn away from beside them. When the Kerovim stood still, the wheels would stand still. And when they rose up, the wheels would rise with them, because the spirit of the living beings was in them. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the Kerovim. When the Kerovim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the ground in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. What a sad day. The glory of God raising up from the temple to leave the dwelling with the people. 
Through a vision, Ezekiel has shown how God left the temple and the thing he most wanted. Again, God himself most wanted to dwell with his people. He had to remove himself against what he wanted, against his will in a sense. He removed himself from dwelling with his people because of the people's actions. In other places, it mentions how God left the temple just as he arrived. Thunders, lightnings, rushing wind, loud blasts. Isn't that interesting? That God left the way he came, and yet no one noticed. He left with thunders, lightnings, loud noises, but yet nobody noticed. Nobody was aware, because they were focused. Why? Because where was their focus? Was their focus on God? Were they, when they were walk, walking through life, were they looking at everything out in this world, seeking to see where God is and, and who God is? In everything that they do, when they're reading scripture and then seeing what's going on in the world, are they applying what they, what they heard in scripture or read in scripture to what's going on in the world and seeing that's where God is? See God's hand moving? Or were they completely engrossed in their own lives to where they completely missed the God of all in all of his power and glory, all of, his, all of the lightnings and thunders and sound? They completely missed him leaving, dwelling with them. They became dull in their own flesh to even recognize this, what was occurring. They became so consumed in trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh, they missed the spectacle of God moving. So I mentioned before, this Shabbat is significant each year in each generation because it's a Shabbat we ensure we are awake and not asleep. You know, before I go on, you know, this week in yeshiva, uh, as we've been doing the last several months, we've been discussing uh, the book of Luke and with other gospels as well. And then this week um, in Luke 17, 18, whatever chapter, but basically it, it discussed how, you know, when, you know, the, the floods of Noah came, um, it discussed these events that, you know, clearly God speaks through his prophets and God warns his prophets leading up to that event what's going to happen. So really, if you're seeking God, you really shouldn't be surprised what's going to happen because you are reading the tea leaves from what's in Scripture. You are seeing the guidepost that God is dropping and laying for all of us to understand what's about to happen, right? If we stay in this word, we see what's going on in the world, we understand. But if you're not, you lose sight of those guideposts. And then you get caught. You know, it, the other event was Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They were, you know, and it talks about the descriptions of what they were doing, marrying, having fun, you know, basically painting a picture that they were having a blast in this material world, right? So much so, it consumed them to where they didn't realize that God was about to show up not in the best way for them, right? That he was about to show up in this miraculous, spectacular, spectacular uh, way that they weren't prepared for. Whether it's the giant flood that they should have gotten the boat or the huge uh, fire and brimstone that came down in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why it's so important, especially taking this, this opportunity today during the first Shabbat of Elul to ensure we are awake. And if we haven't been awake and we've been dulled uh, by the, the, the ways of the world and the busyness of the world, whatever it might be, now is a good time to ensure that we are awake as we journey towards um, Yom Teruah. 
So like I was saying, you know, this Shabbat is significant each year and each generation. Because it's the Shabbat we ensure we are awake and not asleep in the craziness of the world. This Shabbat we pause our normal lives for a special announcement. And that announcement is God is in the field. That God is accessible and is waiting. So as we approach the days of awe, we take note. And if we haven't started, we begin to take a current snapshot of our spiritual life. And we ask ourselves questions like, have we furthered our relationship with God? Have we spent more time in his word and in prayer than past year? Have we taken more action to help those who are poor or naked or hungry? Or have we been dulled? Have we been consumed by our life? Have we been consumed by the material of the world that it's caused us to veer to the right or to the left and not stay on that straight path towards that target? It's interesting to me that Teshuvah is emphasized during this time of year. As a believer, we know that we are approaching a time that we might experience the return of our Mashiach. As we wait the sound of that last trump announcing the king has come, we should partake in these types of activities. We should seek to ensure we are cleansed and that the whole uh, cleansed and whole or complete with God as the Israelites were instructed to do when God met them at Har Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 15 through 17, which states, And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. So as God was appearing to them, he spoke through Moses and Aaron to, to get the people ready, to make sure they were ready for his coming. Likewise, as we come to the end of the festival cycle, we must prepare ourselves for this important time. Either his coming, because it is possible this might be the year he's coming, and we must think that way, or for the upcoming year. Keeping the importance of the month of Elul and our reflection of our spiritual state and mind, I believe it is... Uh, it to be an opportune time to discuss what God requires of us, what his charge is for us, and how important it is for us to remember. So now that I have the introduction out of the way, we can begin the teaching for today. As I read Parshat Shoftim this week, three themes I observed were justice, completeness, and freedom. Justice, completeness, and freedom. Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 through 20 state, you shall appoint for yourselves judges and officers in all your towns which the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not distort justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and distorts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice shall you pursue so that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Here we see God laying the foundation, not wanting his people to, like I've been saying, veering to the right or to the left, causing the, the flesh of the world, the materialism of the world to influence anything or anyone to go outside of that target. This is the portion we read at the Torah table this morning, emphasizing this need for the nation of Israel and, and all of us being a part of the nation of Israel, whether we were there at that moment when he was speaking it or we are here today, he was speaking to us to base our lives 
on justice or the pursuit of justice, not just by the judges they appoint, uh, but by all. When we review the term to get better understanding of what justice means, we find the Hebrew term of tzedek, which comes from tzedak. We have used and have heard this term many times before, whether discussing the tzedakah box in the back or it's adakim. This term, as referenced in these verses, means righteousness. To be righteous, to, to be right and not to be wrong, to choose the, the correct path, the correct aim, the correct goal, to be righteous. God is seeking a people that will pursue what is right in all aspects of the community, not swaying to the right or to the left because of favoritism, bribes, or influence, but staying on that straight path towards the target or towards the goal. Have we allowed, have we stayed on that target? Have we kept justice in that definition of righteousness? Have we kept justice or righteousness as our foundation, as our base? Have we allowed relationships? I mean, I'm not sure how many of us have received bribes. But have we allowed relationships or other scenarios influence how we act out in this world, act with our families, communities, our work, wherever it might be? Have we allowed outside influences cause us not to walk that straight path? not to seek righteousness, not to pursue justice. Or, because of whatever reason, because of the uh, family members, uh, a closeness of friends, um, because of how potential we might be seen, have we veered to the right or the left? Even if it's one little step to the right or to the left, it's still veering to the right or the left, right? I know sometimes in our minds we get a little extreme and when we think about veering to the right or the left, we think, well, I just went a mile that way, right? Now, technically, if I go one or two steps that way, I'm still veering to the left, right? And I'm missing my mark, which then potentially could gain a foothold to where I go then five steps and then 10 steps and then, then I'm to that mile, right? We, we discussed this a bit in yeshiva this week. The idea that God has given us a target, something to focus on and shoot for, and he desires that we stay focused on that target and make that our aim. The target is righteous living or just living through his commandments. Several examples, and I think that's important in a key piece too. When we talk about righteous living or being righteous, when we talk about just living or having a, a foundation of justice, what is righteous living? Where do we find that out? We find it out here, right? Because if we are out in the world and we're having discussions on what's right and what's wrong and we're not based on scripture, there's going to be many different, uh, different views, different interpretations of what's right and what's wrong. But if we base it on this, there's only one way, right? So it's following this on how we understand what righteous living and just living is. So the target is righteous living, just living through his commandments. Several examples of godly individuals taking um, this aim in scripture are as follows. I'm going to, all four of them, Romans 15, 20, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 1 Timothy 1, 5. 
And in this way, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already known by name, so that I would not build on another person's foundation. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone that competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, so that they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we and an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air, but I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified." Therefore, we also have our, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. So to review, Romans talks about, the, in this way I aspire, or I aim, or I seek to target, is to preach the gospel. Not where Christ was already known by name. And then it goes into, therefore, verse 26 of Corinthians 9, therefore I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. A person who's running aimlessly doesn't have a true target or a true goal, is not reading his word or her word to understand what that goal or aim is. We should not be walking aimlessly because we should know how we should walk. And then therefore we also have as our ambition, our goal, our aim, whether we're absent from home, uh, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, to seeking God's pleasure, God's uh, will for our lives. And then 1 Timothy 1, but the goal or the aim of our instruction is to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and a sincere faith. We must guard against moving to the left or to the right. So as we journey through the month of Elul and review our actions to date, have we sought justice? Have we sought to stay focused on the target, which is Yeshua's will, commands for our lives? Or have we veered off into our own desires and targets? Have we sought to love with a pure heart, a good conscience, a, strong, a, a sincere faith? Moving on to the second theme for this week, or pillar, if you will, and that is completeness. This is something that we have discussed here before, uh, and it's in today's portion. Uh, it's something that I've uh, taught here before as well. You know, it's in today's uh, Torah portion, which is uh, specifically in Deuteronomy 18:13, which states in Hebrew, "Tamim im Adonai Elohecha," which translates, "You shall be perfect with the Lord thy God." This portion of the teaching I did many years ago and have discussed this term, perfect. What does it mean to be perfect? Because we clearly know we can't be perfect. I think it's important for us to contemplate and grasp that this term and others like blameless, completeness, what they mean to us as we walk through a lul, as we walk through our lives. When God charges us to be perfect, what is he asking? We see God providing Israel as they were preparing their journey to the promised land in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, which states, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be perfect before the Lord your God, for these nations which ye 
You will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. God was preparing the children of Israel for what they were about to encounter on their journey to the uh, promised land. He was going to, to the, the promised land where they were going to settle. As I emphasized before, Deuteronomy 18.13 highlights the gist of God's charge to Israel and to us today. We must be perfect. We must be blameless before the Lord our God. As a review for some and maybe the first time for others, the Hebrew term for perfect is tamim, which is translated as whole, perfect, complete, and without blemish, full. This command also appears in the Brit Kodeshah in Matthew 5, 48, which states, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. The Greek term for perfect is teleos, which can be defined as complete, brought to its end, full of age, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing necessary to completeness. This week, we in Yeshiva, we discussed scripture where Yeshua was speaking with a man who wanted to know what, what must be done, what he could do to enter heaven. And him and Yeshua were having a conversation and Yeshua talks about following the commands. He says, I've done all those things. I follow all the commands. And then Yeshua, knowing the man's heart, like he's done so many times in the scripture, when he's having conversations, whether with Pharisees and scribes or just men along the side of the road, he knows their heart. So he knows the questions to ask. So then after they get through, have you followed the commandments? He goes, okay, great. You follow the commandments. Now sell everything you have and give to the poor. And that's where the man had a struggle. Because he could not sell, he was very, the scripture goes on to say, he was very wealthy and he could not sell all he had and give to the poor. Why? Because he was consumed and tied into his material wealth. Yeshua, through his question, showed what that man's focus was. Right? His focus was on his wealth and his attachment was on his wealth. Not seeking God or the kingdom of God or pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice, or as we're talking about being perfect, he was not seeking to be complete in God, to be fulfilled with only God, right? That's where our focus should be. We, if we put all of our energy into the, the material world and we put all of our focus on gaining, gaining, gaining and accumulating and it's easy to do, it's easy to fall into that trap, um, just come look at my garage. But if we put all of our attention on accumulating things, right, then our focus, we're, we're always going to be left wanting. Because we're never going to fulfill through material world. We're never going to fulfill through our flesh. The only way we're going to have a complete fullness, a complete fulfillment, a complete just not needing anything, absolutely at peace and not a care in the world is through Yeshua. That's the only way is that we go through him. We actually take off the burdens we place on our shoulders and then put on his burden, which is very light. This man was, invest, was too invested in the material things he surrounded himself with than the target, of, uh, the target that we, ha we should have for our lives. I believe it's important for us 
and the success of our walk with God to ensure we grasp these meetings and the overall instructions uh, by God to be perfect with him. We cannot get so consumed with our lives and the material things of this world that we veer to the right or to the left of the callings, the charges, the aim we have on us as children of God. To the extent we miss the movement of God, I already mentioned before in Luke, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood um, uh, during Noah's time, the leaving of God's presence from the temple, how people lost, how people missed it. Why? Because they were so consumed with their lives. We should and must be able and willing. You know, obviously the, the example I gave with, uh, with Yeshua and the man was around wealth and riches and all that, but it could be a variety of other things than just the dollar, right? It could be whether it's possessions or relationships. Standing in spheres of our influence, you know, when, I, when I say the spheres of our influence, meaning like we get so consumed with how people are looking at us or so consumed with being seen, in great, being seen as in great standing in the world uh, of positions, titles, whatever it might be, that we lose sight of what our aim is, what our goal is. We lose sight of following Yeshua, right? And then we turn it into following our desires, And as we go through this life on that straight path, regardless of struggle or persecution, complete in God, we won't even notice we lack the material things or the relationships we potentially once desired or notoriety as James references in James 1, 2 through 4, which states, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let us be the people that lack nothing, that are never wanting, except for God's presence. Above all, let us remember that we are perfected, that we are made complete, that we are blameless only through the willingness and action of our Mashiach who came off his throne. We talked about the king is in the field and we talked about the descriptions of um, Rabbi Zalman of Liadi where he talked about how how many um, secretaries and ministers and, and paths you had to take to get into the palace to see the king, right? With that imagery, this king left the palace to come in this material world to die for us. And only through that is the only way we have any opportunity to, to, to realize this completeness, to realize this fullness and this peace. Yeshua came off his throne high above, made himself low, riding on a donkey, Mashiach ben Yosef, and took the most loving action there is, and that is dying for each one of us. Hebrews 10, 14 through 18 states, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, after, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them upon their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any, any offering for sin. Amen.
Without this, everything else would be useless. Now moving on from, again, we covered justice, we covered completeness of the two of the three pillars or two of the three themes for today. Now let's move on to the third and final um, theme for today, and that is freedom. In yeshiva, we have been discussing Luke, and throughout the gospel, like all the others, the phrase, the kingdom of God, is mentioned many times. This phrase could be referring to a couple of things. One, actual kingdom of heaven, where we will rule and reign with Yeshua. But also it could be more figurative, as Yeshua states in Luke 17, 20-21, which states, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The Pharisees had their minds on the physical kingdom, and as usual, Yeshua is directing them to the kingdom of God that lives within all of us, that lives within the midst of us. And in Yeshiva, we discussed how when used in this manner, Yeshua was stating that the kingdom of God is anywhere the will of God is. As Yeshua traveled around Israel performing miracles, healing the sick, making the blind see, releasing, releasing those in bondage, and bringing physical and spiritual freedom to many, he was displaying the kingdom of God on earth. When he, when he hung on that cross, he was performing the greatest uh, kingdom of God there was. He was showing God's will in the, as a perfect example. The notion of freedom is what we read in the Haftarah this week in Isaiah 52, 1 through 2, and 7 through 12, which states, Awake, awake, clothe yourself self in your strength, Zion. Clothe yourself with your beautiful garments, Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust, rise up, captive Jerusalem. Release yourself from the chains around your neck, captive daughter of Zion. How delightful are on the mountains are the feet of one who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen raise their voices, they shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Be cheerful, shout joyfully together in the, your ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations so that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Do not touch what is unclean. Go out of, of the midst of her. Purify yourselves. You who carry the vessels of the Lord, but you will not go out in a hurry, nor will you go out as fugitives. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is a perfect portion for uh, this Shabbat, for this month. Awake, awake. We have to ensure that we are awake. We have to ensure that we are removing the burdens that we have placed upon us by not reaching out and seeking Yeshua and, and seeking his burdens. God is speaking through Isaiah here to Israel to let go of the burdens they had brought upon themselves by going their own way and following their own desires as opposed to the desires of God. They had heaped heavy burdens upon themselves and placed themselves in bondage due to the need to fulfill to fulfill their desires, which were unquenchable. Through the action of trying to fulfill all of their fleshly desires of going right to the left, they were continually wanting. They were continually seeking more and more and more that they could not fulfill. They would always 
We would always be left wanting if we make our desires the, our aim and our goal. When we make God's desires, his presence, his aim, then and only then will we experience freedom from bondage and the completeness, uh, completeness and fullness of the kingdom of God. As I close this message today, I wanted to leave you with two psalms that I would like to encourage all of us to read many times over as we go through the month of Elul, um, as we make our way towards the days of awe uh, and through, um, through this month. The first is Psalm 27, which is a traditional psalm uh, to read during this time, as well as during the time of all the fall feasts. Uh, so I wanted to, you, many of you uh, might have already started reading it. I wanted to bring it to your attention uh, that this is something something that, you know, it's a perfect psalm to understand this journey that we're on and what we are going towards as we enter the fall feast. Psalm 27, 1 through 14, which states, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is, my is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adver adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war rises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on, in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up, up above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies, for false witnesses have risen against me, and the violent witnesses. I certainly believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Isn't it interesting when you read verse 4? One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. This one thing David was seeking all of his days, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's interesting because when you think about, you know, that's David's kind of yearning and desire. And then you think of God's yearning and desire, wanting to dwell with us, you know, and thinking about the scripture where God calls out, you know, David has a heart after his own. You know, what, what a perfect marriage those two. And that's what God seeks. He's already seeking uh, to dwell with us and be accessible to us. We must be like David and return that favor and seek to dwell with him and seek to be accessible to him. And the second psalm that I want to finish with today is Psalm 51. So this psalm, I was over uh, Rabbi Michael's uh, last Saturday, and we were having a discussion. We were outside. Uh, we were having a discussion about uh, God and, and the Bible. And, you know, he brought up Psalm 51, um, and we started discuss, discussing Psalm 51, how it is an absolute, perfect, repentance type of psalm. 
uh, to read. And as I was preparing for today's teaching, and uh, of course, you know, I thought about Psalm 27 because it's traditional for this time, you know, and I remembered uh, my, our, my conversation I was having with Michael, and I was thinking about Psalm 51 and how it fits during this time that we are reviewing uh, our lives up into this point, our year up into this point, taken in the counting, and then moving forward and preparing ourselves through the month of Elul and preparing ourselves for the days of awe. I thought this would be an absolute perfect psalm as well. Uh, uh, for us to read as we, in addition to our, our normal uh, readings that we have. So I wanted to bring it forth today and then encourage all of us uh, to not only read Psalm 27, but also Psalm 51 uh, through, the, uh, through this month into the next. Uh, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19 states, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness. According to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt and in, in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in secret you'll make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Cleanse me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and wipe out all my guilty deeds. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your, of your salvation and sustain me with, your, with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, and God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips so that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. By your favor, o do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. With, with that said, if we transform our minds and our hearts to only want and need from God, we then and only then fulfill the requirements of seeking justice, seeking completeness, and seeking and experiencing freedom from burden. Now we may not be in a place like the children of Israel were, but as we journey towards the days of awe, let us examine and prepare ourselves for the coming king. If there is anything we have been struggling with, if we are in a lull in our walks with God, anything that we need freed from, let us remember who the king has called us to be and let us take comfort in these words and allow them to motivate all of us to actively walk them out because our God, the most powerful one, is before us and is behind us and is in that field accessible, ready for us. Amen? It is our duty to praise the master of all, to ascribe greatness to the author of creation. For he made us unlike the nations of the lands and has not placed us like the families of the earth. He has not made our portion like theirs and our lot like all their multitudes. And we bend the knee and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the king over kings, the holy one, blessed be he. He stretches out heaven and establishes earth's foundation. And the seed of his glory is in the heavens above. And the presence of his power is in the most exalted heights. He is our God, there is none other. 
another. True is our king, there is nothing beside him, as it is written in his Torah. And you shall know this day, and take to your heart that the Lord, he is God in the heavens above, and on the earth below, there is none other. Amen. Amen. You may stand. Next slide, please. Amen. I'm just going to have one song today.